This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Bring it on, bring it on. Touchdown, Saban Collins. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. So in an effort to make sure that we don't have a repeat occurrence of the Mike Tomlin press conference, specifically the very end, where there was the walk-away, walk-off question that never was, is there a question I should avoid with the two of you here on Cardinals Underground? Paul Calvisi, Darren Urban, Danny Sarek, is there a third rail sort of question that I could pose that I should stay away from? For example, That we wouldn't want to answer, Paul? Right. Like with Danny, I mean, if I might be so bold, you know— the green bean casserole. Probably shouldn't bring up the green bean casserole, right, Danny? That's no, fine. I'll defend it. I was going to say she's going to answer that. Ask away, Paul. you got you okay. got to ask something that oh, isn't going to be oh, asked. Oh, okay. Well, I just want to make sure if there's any, you know, any sort of out of bounds, you know, territory or topics that I should avoid at all costs. I got to be honest, Paul. There's probably a few that pop into my mind, but I'm not going to bring them up because student loans, for example, they, they need to. Stay. You're not a big fan of student loans with uh, two college age kids or Honestly, so. Honestly, I did a good job and and got them through school with no debt. <laughs> there you go. And, okay. and no loans. Okay. So. Okay. All right. Good. We're good. We're happy about that. Okay. Let's just. Yeah, I mean, you can keep poking. Eventually, you'll probably hit something that I wouldn't want to talk about, but. I'm okay with a student. I mean, I, I don't love student loans. You guys are already ahead of the game, at least uh, based on the fact that... No, you the, just don't know enough about us. No, you're ahead of the and, game. And we're going to keep it that way. For the start of this week, okay, you guys are at least uh, winning in the fact you showed up for your, your duties here, your broadcast duties, as opposed to the brain trust of the Dallas Cowboys that decided to bag out on their radio show this week. <laughs> well, maybe that's a third Jerry row. Jones and... Stephen Jones, you're right. Uh, Which, you, you know, know what? I'm, Let me if, write that down. If I recall, I'm pretty sure they did the same thing right before they let go Jason Garrett. Okay. Mm. Did you hear the little anecdote from Mike Tirico? Yeah, they were at Kansas City, and uh, he said in, it was the second half of the game at some point. He said, "Hey, Mike, you idiot!" Right? He's talking about himself, holding himself accountable because he thought all the fans turning around and snapping pictures was because of Jason Garrett, the former Cowboys head coach, when in fact they were directly above Taylor Swift. I love it. So No, it is interesting because, you know, Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones, they go on a local radio station every week and they decided not to go on it this week after that loss, which I think technically I would assume that that deal, that agreement probably ends as soon as the Cowboys season ends. But still, you know, I you don't have to be a former employee to know that those two love any chance for publicity and going on the radio. So it's something to keep your eye on yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of coaching things that could still happen I mean this is by far the most coaching questions over coaches that made the freaking playoffs I mean if we're talking about Tomlin we're talking about McCarthy we're talking about Nick Sirianni yeah well I mean the question that led to Mike Tomlin walking off the podium was, uh, Coach, you have one year left in your contract, dot, dot, dot. He gone. He just bolted right there. Which, to me, that's the worst response you could have. I mean, what, as opposed to getting up there and saying, what, Paul? Like, I'm not concerned about that right now. That's not at the forefront of my mind. Like, that's all you have to say. But he hasn't won a playoff game in seven years. And Najee Harris, among those in the locker room, saying there needs to be change, at least in how some – Rules are set, according to Najee Harris. When, when we start talking about the coaching changes that have happened, not just the potential ones in the playoffs, but we're talking about, you know, Pete Carroll. I mean, Mike Tomlin, Pete Carroll. I, I've long – Bill Belichick, I've long been a person – I get it while you're there long term. I get it. I think Mike Tomlin is an excellent coach. But I do think that after a while it can get stale. And – Obviously, Tomlin's had super success for a long time. Belichick did the same thing. There is exceptions to the rule, but even then, 
you know, like you just said, the the Steelers haven't advanced very far in a long time. They're they're winning games, but they're in this purgatory where they never have a losing yeah. record, so they never have a good enough right. draft pick to really improve their team. Is it recency bias to say that the uh, circumspection of head coaches is thus in 2024 that even playoff coaches are more likely to get canned than ever before. Whether it's in Philly, that's a playoff team. Whether it's Dallas, that's a playoff team. The Steelers might make a coaching change, a playoff team. I, I got a, I got a couple. One, I, I want to. It does bother me a little bit. I mean, if you're Nick Sirianni and you just got to the Super Bowl, and then a year later, after an 11 win season, and your your jobs and that, I struggle with a little bit. I understand they might have had issues, but I struggle with that. But it's funny that you're talking about. You, obviously, we brought up the Cowboys. I, I, I asked this of my two sons who have grown up Cardinals fans because they live here and I. They're they were born here. They're they're the fans of the local teams, and I, obviously, me working for the team doesn't hurt that equation. But I asked them. I said, "Be as objective as you can. Would you rather be a Cardinals fan or a Cowboys fan?" Cowboys fans get to enjoy a lot of victories, but they have expectations that just seem to just rip at the soul where I I understand Cardinals fans don't have that as much. And they obviously get upset when the team loses. But there's actually there seems to be some highs there when the Cardinals do do well, which do the Cowboys have any highs if they don't win the Super Bowl? Like it it just seems like a miserable existence. (laughs) The stat I saw, by the way, is since the Barry Switzer Super Bowl win, which was some 30 years ago, they've won four of 16 playoff games. So to Darren's point, they make the postseason with regularity. They win a lot of regular season games. Very little playoff success over the last three decades. The reason I was laughing is because I could only imagine my dad's response, who's a lifelong Cowboys fan. Well, he's a lifelong listening to Cardinals underground, No, I got... Calls from my dad, from my brother-in-law saying, you know, I am not even a Cowboys fan anymore. I am full in on the Bird Gang, Cardinals only. Uh, it's I, I think part of that is just with the Cowboys specifically, such a storied franchise and a franchise that has had so much success. A lot of this fan base are people who were fans when the Cowboys were winning. And that's not just in Texas. That's You're all right. over You're the right. U.S., all over the world. Because, right, like not... There weren't a lot of teams or they weren't being played on local stations the way the Cowboys were. I think that's part of my at least understanding is some of that frustration is when you're talking about Cardinals versus Cowboys is the expectations are through the roof because you have had success. Yes, it was a long time ago, but that's what a lot of the fan base is used to and that's their expectation. You didn't answer the question though. Do you think it's better for a person to be a Cowboys fan or a Cardinals fan Jeez, for that reason? I'm like, again, I, I'm and I'm not trying to look, I, I I work for the team. I'm acknowledging that this team obviously has had its struggles. And trust me, I interact with the Cardinals fan base on a daily basis. I understand the anger that some of them have that the Cardinals have struggled mightily. But it, it just it crossed my mind. Having gone through, for instance, and obviously this has been forever ago now, but 15 years ago, going through that Super Bowl run, like, I don't don't know if a Cowboys fan could have such a fun Super Bowl run as the Cardinals did in 2008, because if you're expecting them to be not only in the Super Bowl, but winning the Super Bowl, like, every step, like, where's the joy? Well, I think that was part of it. Before the playoff game, Mike McCarthy's job was already supposedly on the line in Dallas. That was already a talking point before kickoff even happened. Look, the two most memorable slash meaningful moments from the first playoff weekend to me were both from the Detroit game. And one has a Cardinals connection to me. When the fans didn't leave the stadium, yeah. that reminded me of the 2008 NFC Championship win. Yeah, You just have a fan base. It was soaking in the moment. Didn't want it to end. Didn't want to leave. Those That was the Lions fan base in that moment. That video of Jared Goff leaving the field, and he was the last player to leave the field because he did an infinite number of postgame interviews out on the field. Everyone's still in their seats, still giving him a standing O. I thought that was really cool, and it reminded me of the Cardinals 2008. And then the cutaway, with all due respect to Taylor Swift, the most meaningful cutaway was the shot of the Lions season ticket holder, 89 years oh, of age. Yeah. 
in his 66th season as a ticket holder? He has seen some stuff, let me tell you. And as my old man, who's a Detroit native, who used to go to the Lions games. I'm I've a heard, Detroit native. I, I, and I've heard, so have you not heard your share over the years? Oh, when Bobby Lane won the 1957 NFL title. and oh, Back when the Lions were playing at Tiger Stadium. That guy was there for my, that game. My, uh, my grandmother passed away of uh, lung cancer 2003. I think. And um, the the last, I, I got a chance to talk to her. It was right at the end of the football season. And I didn't, we didn't know quite how bad she was. Um, but the last chance I had a, to talk to her, I, I was on the phone with her and we were talking about the Lions. And uh, Joy Harrington was the quarterback. Yes, and sure. I said, I said, what, what do you think, Graham? You think Joey Harrington's the answer? And she's like, She's like, they're the Lions. He's never going to pan out. And she was right. Okay, someone who covered the Lions for a couple of years back when they had uh, Chris Spielman and Barry Sanders and Lomas Brown Some and great players. all that. You know, I mean, most of the Lions fans, their, their mantra was, we couldn't win even when we had Barry Sanders. But they figured it out. And what did they do? And this is where, if you're a Cardinals fan, you hope it's a case study. They came in, they changed the culture. They got a lot more physical. They got a lot more demanding. They put a lot more accountability into the equation. They rebuilt the offensive line. I mean, that Lions offensive line ha- had its way yeah. in that game. And so they put a lot of assets into that. They got a premier pass rusher, number two overall, in Aiden Hutchinson, which is foreshadowing. I'm going to talk about the Cardinals' need in that area a little bit later and why it trumps the need for a receiver. Anyway, you look at everything that they did in Detroit, and I think there are a lot of parallels to what the Cardinals, where the Cardinals are tracking and trending. And hopefully, think about it, a Dan Campbell in his first year had three wins, started year two, one and six, and then it's been a complete turnaround ever since. I agree. I think we've talked about that from the beginning of the culture and the effort that is being played every single game and playing for each other and playing for this coaching staff. And I think there are parallels. This is not a situation where before this head coach, this this coaching staff took over, it felt like the approach was kind of, okay, let's just find a couple of pieces, right? It was more of a free agency haul, not haul, but that that was more of the approach of finding those veteran players and trying to plug in and do that. And this has been a complete haul, and it feels like it's going more young players, right? Like not, not as experienced, but trying to build players up and build around that. And that also feels similar to what Detroit has done. That's why I feel like, to almost go back to your question, Darren, is right now it's probably better to be a Cardinals fan because you can feel that it is within reason to have hope that things are turning around and turning around for the better and that a true foundation is being set. The Cardinals aren't trying to just plug in players where they need it and and patch in some holes and try and get by with who they have. You can tell that things are really being changed, and that's why I think that this organization is trending upwards truly is a good example like Detroit is you have – the right people in place and everybody is playing with the right mindset a true team mindset and that I, I still think when you've got Kyler Murray as your quarterback that absolutely elevates the rest of your team no disrespect to somebody like Jared Goff but when you've got a quarterback yeah. like Kyler Murray makes your chances of finding success a whole lot better also I, I'm and I, I've been mulling this in my head while Danny was talking because I can't think of anybody else I don't know if I could think of two coaches that if you drop them in their respective team's locker room and put them in a uniform and send them out there with a team, more that they you, you, you could see them fitting in whatever positions they play. Jonathan Gannon in the, right. in the defensive backfield, Dan Campbell back at, at tight end. I mean, obviously Jonathan Gannon with his hip history is long past that, but still. Saying they have that player mentality is I just, what you're saying. There's, just, there's that feel to it. They, yep. Their coaches... Yep. And they do handle it a little bit different. I mean, we're never going to get a bite the kneecaps quote out of Jonathan Gannon, I don't think. I think he plays it closer to the vest than Dan Campbell will in terms of public, publicly. But, but, but Gannon had his we want killers comment. That's right? true. He did. And so, I mean, although that was something that was said behind the scenes that got out rather than something true. he said in a press true. conference. Yeah. So, but you're right. It, it's a, it is a similar mentality. I also think Brad Holmes, the GM, who's done an amazing job of put, pulling Amon Ross St. Brown out of the fourth round, and he's an all-pro receiver. <clears throat> Michael Wilson, maybe? Hello? Uh, just throwing that out there. 
to do that sort of roster building reconstruction and then to actually show emotion. You see the video that went viral where he's on yeah. the, right? Diz was in that, is in the elevator too, I noticed. Does that remind you of another GM maybe in the tunnel after a win? That's a good hmm. point. Celebrating, showing emotion with the players. You know, there's some similarities, I think, in there. And then you had a motivated Jared Goff. Don't forget, the Rams traded not only Goff, but two first-round picks for Matthew Stafford. So Goff yeah. went out there, and he was really motivated. Which I, I loved post-game. Do you see Dan Campbell handing out that game ball to Goff, and all he had to say was, you're good enough for us here in Detroit? Yes. I love that. Yeah. Now, I, I do want to – I mean, again, the, the margins here are so little. I mean – they only won by a point. It's not like they get it. rolled yep. over the Rams. I get it. Yeah. And I'm not saying they're not a great team or they're not going in the right direction, but like it's just funny how different this conversation could be if the Rams would have made one more field goal. Heck, do you think the Rams were a tougher playoff opponent than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be? I mean, the Rams were red hot going into the postseason. They started three <laughs> and six, won seven out of eight. Matthew Stafford was dealing. Now, they didn't get enough pressure on Jared Goff. The stat was on pass attempts where there was no pressure on Jared Goff, he was 22 at 22, which once again reinforces quarterback, get to the quarterback. Well, considering the Buccaneers blitzed like 90% of the time against the Eagles, (laughs) I think that's going to change. That was another memorable moment was Todd Bowles, the big wide smile at the end. Because you rarely never see Todd smile. It was nice. And he gave that big beaming smile. And there was so that was one you never see. And then number two to your point, Darren, what you always see out of Todd Bowles is leading the league in blitz rate. Yes. And he did like two thirds of the time he brought the heat. Early in the game I happened to have on the Manning cast and Peyton Manning's like they're every time they go empty, they're blitzing. And I started watching them like, oh my God, every Every single time they were an empty, yes. they blitzed. Yes. And Eagles had no answer. No, that was really bad. I mean, think about. So Nick Sirianni. Okay. They start 10-1. and one. They lose six of the last seven, including the playoff loss. What team does that remind you of in recent yeah, history? 2021. And how can you not be Jeffrey Lurie wondering, we lost Jonathan Gannon and we lost Shane Steichen. I kept th- I kept thinking of Jonathan Gannon. Obviously, you're thinking. To so what of degree Gannon. were they propping was, up Nick Sirianni? But I I gotta like the missed tackles. Like I, oh. every coach hates that. But I was just imagining if Jonathan Gannon was coaching a team like that. And I, I'll be honest, I couldn't picture a team Jonathan Gannon was coaching missing tackles like that. I literally said to my son during that game, I said, you know what? It's almost like the Eagles are using the change in defensive coordinator as an excuse to mail in the rest of the season because they're going out there with like. Zero want to. But can can you now put that performance still on your defensive coordinator and the change? Is that really the answer with Matt Patricia if you're seeing a performance like that? See, well, right? Was, because because here's the thing: it's it was one game, and that was all the Eagles fans. They were going after Jonathan Gannon with the Super Bowl loss and saying how oh he his head wasn't in it because he took the Cardinals job and all this stuff. I haven't looked. Are they going after Matt Patricia the same after a performance like mm-hmm. that? I know, but uh, they're going after the head coach <laughs> right. now. Hey, our Cowboys fans going after Dan Quinn. His name's in like a half dozen different head coaching interviews they don't right lose now. Him. And and was he preoccupied? Was he distracted? Because effective the next morning, he was going to be interviewing for head coaching gigs around the league. In fact, uh, can I give you a, a hot take? How about the fact that the Lions, both of their coordinators, who was it, Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn? They're both scheduled to interview with a handful of teams after practice Friday and Saturday. Oh, the Lions are going to lose against the Tampa Bay Bucks because their two coordinators are going to interview for head coaching gigs at the end of this week. Obviously, they won't be playoff ready. Why, why, why don't they change it to where you can't interview until maybe not once your team is done, but post-Super Bowl? For everybody, though? Yeah, for, well, for head coaching roles. Be- because ultimately, when the Super Bowl is over, everybody's going to the combine like six days later, I mean, and yeah. everybody needs to have their, their stuff staff, in place. Yeah. I mean, it, I just feel like it would. I, 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 I I'm not. It. I'm not saying that coaches but, are not see, able to have their minds and and you know prepare and still be. But it's like it feels like it would eliminate that argument. Well, see, I don't see. To me, the argument isn't. I mean, t- uh, Paul and I were around a team where. Todd Haley was essentially everybody knew he was going to be the Chiefs head coach before the Super Bowl was played and honestly that didn't take away from what he did in the Super Bowl I I thought actually he did a good job in the Super Bowl if you had any argument is that he didn't go to the 
the hurry up faster, but he had good. It wasn't because he was distracted. No, it was because he was scared to death. Kurt Warner was going to get hurt in the first quarter because they didn't have an offensive line that could hold up to the Steelers pass rush. But, but by the way, my wry smile was later. He admitted in an interview he wished he would have opened up the offense earlier, yes. not just the second well, of half. Of course, that and, he would have you know brought. They the all think that pass first right. in the first half. And I've talked to him multiple times yeah. about it. And again, the concern was if Kurt Warner gets hurt in the beginning of the second quarter they're done so we've got to find a way to shorten this game but anyways um i don't think that that should be a big issue i i I understand where you're coming from but unless they change the the draft and the combine and that whole schedule which and then and then the off season and rookie minicamp otas yeah okay uh so here you are cardinals have a head coach they have a gm obviously what sort of head start do you think that gives him on 2024? To what degree, now in hindsight, hit rewind, where the Cardinals always playing catch-up last year just because the year started with a brand-new set of decision-makers? Yes. I, I think that would be any team that you're having to have a new general manager and a new head coach and all the pieces that go with that. I think, too, you're having to look at the situation of what the Cardinals were this time a year ago. And so I, I don't know if that's necessarily playing from behind, um, playing catch up as much as that was just the situation. I think any coach, any general manager in front office, you know, people who came in knew that there were going to be pieces that were on the Cardinals roster when they came that they were not going to want on this roster when the season ended and that you knew you were going to be playing with a thinner roster when you're looking at the pieces you have and the depth and not to say that it was a lost cause you weren't expecting to win or be competitive I do think the Cardinals were a lot more competitive than anybody gave them credit for at the start of the year so I do think yes you were playing catch up to an extent I also think that was just the situation that the Cardinals were in but I do think that when you have an entire new staff in front office. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made, not just with personnel, but also the culture and the vision of the future and who you're hiring to to get to that winning culture and to get to those wins and that end goal. I do think it is impressive in a calendar year what we have seen from this Cardinals team, which starts at the very top and the improvements that we saw in a calendar year. I do. I think catch up is inevitable. But it also had to do with where this team was. I mean, this team was starting from scratch in a lot of ways with not just the hires, but what they wanted to do with the team and nearing clear cap space. I mean, I, I don't think any of that was going to, to filter out in one season. So why rush things? And, it, and it's, you know, that's, a, that's an important thing when you bring in a, a new brain trust. Like when you start rushing stuff, that you can make mistakes. I guess I would also contend you, know, you think you know what you have. Do you really know until the games begin? For example, no. Greg Dorch, they were really honest. Did they think Greg Dorch was even going to make the final 53? But he balled out during all those camp practices, was one of the last guys I would surmise to make the roster, didn't get much playing time. But by the time he hit December, okay, wait a minute. This guy's a keeper. He can play. And so – Whereas other situations, Marco Wilson, your number one corner, didn't even play down the stretch and wasn't even there for the final couple of games. So there were things you can only learn in game situations. I think the same kind of in the opposite realm would be like tight end Trey McBride. I'm sure, sure they saw good things of him. And, you know, the, the truth is last season, the few opportunities that McBride really had to shine, he didn't make the most of them there were a good amount of drops or miscommunication so I think in the opposite realm of someone like Marco Wilson you look at a Trey McBride and you probably think you have an idea of what he could become I don't know that they expected him to blossom and grow and thrive the way he did the second half of the season I mean they didn't know until Zach Ertz got hurt no honestly to your point and even if they did have some ideas as long as Zach Ertz was playing there was a McBride needed those reps he needed the confidence he needed the chemistry with his quarterback and you don't Again, they they played to win. They they played to do as best they could at the beginning of the season. And I know Jonathan Gannon denied the tale of two seasons the whole time, but it's hard not to look at this team and say, 
it was you were really going to have a hard time, especially offensively, knowing exactly what you were going to have and do until Kyler came back on the field. And Michael Wilson said so. The final post-game radio interview. It just took time. Those were his words. Took time for the coaches to learn the players' strong suits. Took time for everybody to be fluent in the offense. Took time for Kyler to learn the receivers. So to me, at the very least, there's the known and the unknown. The one known is, I would think... There are far fewer questions for Jonathan Gannon and Monty Austin Ford entering this offseason. Are there still questions, significant questions, significant areas that need to be remedied and improved? Absolutely. Just not as many questions. Now, the degree of difficulty in some of these questions might be great, like where do you find that game-wrecking pass rusher? How do you resolve? You did say you were going to bring that up, Paul. Well, I'm just saying that if you look at some of for example, I gave you the stat on Jared Goff, how effective he was, Correct. You have to figure out a way, I think, and this is the priority of the offseason, is getting to the quarterback. you got to find that guy. Unfortunately, I don't think that guy's there at number four. Nope. And because of that, I don't think you can afford to take a receiver at number four. I know there's one, there's one mock draft out there right now that has Marvin Harrison Jr. going three, and then the Cardinals still taking receiver at four. To New, I, I to New England? Yes. Stays at New England? I, I mean... No, that's okay. not. And I don't think that's going to happen with this set of decision makers. I think they value the line of scrimmage so much. I just don't see them going receiver at four right now. I agree. I, I was leading that charge for a long time. I'm now wavering if Marvin Harrison is on the board, if that could change. I, I don't know if they do it otherwise. The thing is, is your, your implication is what, that they take an offensive lineman or that they trade down? Either one. Either one. You, either you take that. If he's worthy of four, the Penn State or Notre Dame tackle, you go that route or you trade down. Now, the lesson learned 15 years ago was once upon a time you passed up on Terrell Suggs. 20 years ago. 20 years ago. 2003. And you cash that in for two lower first-round picks that ended up being Brian Johnson and Calvin Pace. Swing and a miss. You missed out on a Hall of Famer. So... I get it, and obviously Larry Fitzgerald was a grand slam at number three overall. I just, my inclination is to think that this set of decision makers, though, they view the line of scrimmage as so far and above a priority beyond receiver. And then when you see guys like Amon Rossi Brown coming out of the fourth round, you see Puka Nakua out of the fifth round, you just pulled Michael Wilson out of the third round. I just think they're much more inclined, if they're going to go receiver, they end up going that route with the Texans pick, which right now is 25. And C.J. Stroud, you're absolutely killing us at this point. We'll get into that in a minute. The, the, this whole discussion is, uh, is Bengals 2021-2022, Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase. Mm. And I think it was the fourth pick. I think. And they um, took Chase. Or I think maybe, yep. yes, because the Cowboys are right after L.A., and the Chargers took Sewell. I remember watching that. And Lions took Sewell, right? Lot, who am I thinking of then? Chargers. Um, I don't know. I just know the Bengals had a chance to protect Joe Burrow, and they decided to get him a, a weapon instead. And I'm envisioning his face, the, and the, I lost his the name. The Bengals. You'll, you'll think of it. I'm going to look it up. Okay. Um, well, okay. We're in the trust tree, right? 2019, Cardinals take Kyler Murray number one overall. Mm-hmm. 2020, who's on the board at eight? Isaiah Simmons, and Tristan Wirfs. Yep. Number of assistant coaches wanted the tackle. Yep. You got to protect that quarterback after you just drafted him number one overall. Cardinals went defense. And that was a whiff. Yeah. A bad so, whiff. Uh, anyway, that's that's just my, my inclination at this point. So much can obviously change. Rashawn Slater. There you go. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Boom. Um, yep. I, here's how I feel about a wide receiver. At four, if, you mean? Yes. If Marvin Harrison Jr. is the elite player, the expectations of being another Larry Fitzgerald-esque wide receiver, great. It's obviously a need. The situation the Cardinals are in right now, it is hard to argue that you should take advantage of that spot if the right player is there and not build in the trenches. You had a rotation at left guard. You now have a question at left tackle with DJ Humphreys going to be recovering his ACL. Are the Cardinals going to stick with Humphreys and maybe have a veteran like Kelvin Beecham stay there? Are they going to move Paris Johnson Jr.? Either way, you have questions and you have holes that need to be filled on the offensive line. 
You still have holes on the defensive line as well. You could absolutely use a big body there. But I agree with you, Paul. I think the lack of pass rush that we saw the second half of the season, which is really what we expected all year, the first half, the sparks we saw were a little bit of a surprise, is a glaring need. And I think when you're looking at four, it really does make more sense to either go in the trenches, more than likely an interior offensive lineman, or a pass rusher. And we've seen in recent years, if you've got an Aiden Hutchinson, if you've got a Micah Parsons, if you got a TJ Watt, they can be absolute game changers for you. Doesn't take away later in the first round, or you want to go to day two, right? Talking about the other glaring needs of a cornerback, you want to get a wide receiver, a D lineman. But I do think offensive line or an edge rusher right now, January 16th, I think those would really make the most sense for the Cardinals, not just immediate, but also long-term and what they are trying to build. Well, if you're talking four right now, and we're we're way early in the process, I don't think there is a defense. There's not going to be an edge guy that should go four. No. So you're basically talking offensive line. Offensive line. line. Yeah. Now, Which Bri- is fine. And the name I dropped before is Brian Burns out of Carolina. If he hits the market, and we know... <laughs> Carolina should have locked him up a long time ago. Why would he want to stay at this point? He's going to test the market. So They're if he's franchise him, it, but if he somehow does hit the market, uh, boom, that's where I could see easily. That's where you make the big spend, and you don't have to give up an asset in return. Unlike the Bears, who gave up a high what second round pick for Montez Sweat. What if they franchise him? And yeah. do you look into a well, trade? Two first round picks? No, that's trade. Well, no, no, maybe. no, 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 no. Trade? Maybe. You wouldn't. It wouldn't yeah. be a f- two first round picks. It would be. You'd give them the Texans first and then uh, some other package. No, it wouldn't be. We can see. Look, if if there are deemed four worthy quarterbacks in this draft, because there are more than four teams in need of a franchise quarterback, and all of a sudden you get a haul for number four because a Jaden Daniels or a Michael Penix or a Bo Nix is deemed that guy, then okay. You know, then maybe you take some of those assets, you get in a trade like that. and It's just it's interesting something. that you bring up Suggs, who I've gone back and forth with a, a gentleman in the mailbag for two weeks now because he's still angry about that, which I'm like, all right, it's time to move on, Here, dude. Yes, here's, here's the other thing but is, oh. I, I was just going to finish and say, it, you're talking, to, you, and you just mentioned it, do you pass up on a Adrian Peterson? Do you pass up on a Will Anderson? Like though that's the issue that you have when you're talking about, and so that's to me that's it, the scouting comes down to like if you really feel like this guy is a generational guy, I, I think you got to give it a lot more thought than just we can get receiver later. Absolutely, I think we are on the same page of Mars, Marvin Harrison Jr. According to the scouting department, is everything that has been said about him as a generational talent. Take him if you think that that's going to be the difference maker for you. It is still important, though, you talk about all the time, Paul, is protecting the quarterback and getting to the quarterback. The other argument when you're talking about a wide receiver, and not necessarily Harrison, if you drop down a few spots and you're looking at a a receiver or an an offensive lineman, a lot of this stems back to Hollywood Brown, who is a pending free agent. He has made it clear he wants to be here. If both sides are able to agree and he's able to be here on a one-year prove-it deal since he hasn't been healthy the two years he's been a Cardinal. That, to me, still makes sense. I think if he is healthy with a healthy Michael Wilson, which I know sounds like we're asking a lot right now, I think what we saw in the last two games is if you can kind of get rolling, especially when you've got Trey McBride, you've got running backs who are good receivers – you can continue to work with what you have as a receiver, which makes the argument of getting a pass rusher or an offensive lineman at the top of the draft and then looking at a receiver either later in the first round or or on day two and maybe getting multiple mm-hmm. receivers at that. I think that when you if that's an option, if if Hollywood wants to stay here and they can make it work, that can also get you by, I think, what we've seen for a year and you continue to add more pieces, but then you're really able to justify drafting an offensive lineman or a pass rusher early. Well, you look at the Cardinals' list of unrestricted free agents to be, and I'll be honest, maybe it's because I'm a Hollywood Brown guy, but I'm with you on that, Danny. Of all the names there, I looked at his first, and I said, you know what? Especially if it's a one-year prove-it deal, bring him back. His season on film was so much better than in the box score. 
We've heard Jonathan Gannon say more than once that when I was a defensive coordinator, a guy like Hollywood Brown really scared me because he has that top-end elite speed who can stretch that defense. Just having the threat of that guy out there changes coverage schemes, and especially if he's a number two. If you added a Marvin Harrison Jr., now Hollywood Brown is a two, and Michael Wilson is your three, you know, okay. I mean, you saw what Kyler did down the stretch with a far lesser crew of receivers and without knowing exactly what they're thinking of Rondell Moore at this point. Other names are on this list. I know we threw this list to Kyle Vandenbosch. He immediately started with the defensive lineman. LJ Collier, Carlos Watkins. We saw so little of those guys this year. But when they played, they were effective. Cardinals have a serious need in the defensive line room, obviously. Lecky Fotu has been a solid guy. I threw out there Antonio Hamilton. You're really thin in the cornerback room. And, you know, it, look, to me, Antonio Hamilton is a perfect third or fourth corner. And he's versatile. He can play outside. He can play inside. He has the size. You can put him on a tight end. He's over six foot tall. Uh, and he's that veteran presence in that room. I don't know what names jump out to you when you look at the unrestricted free agents. I mean, to me, those you, you've probably hit on the guys that would catch my attention. I mean, the only other person, Blake Gillikin, the punter, I thought was pretty solid. Yep. Obviously, not only kicking the ball, but I thought he got better as a holder. Um you know, I don't know what direction you want to go with that position. It's kind of a, a weird kind of situation, but I would think that that would be a possibility of wanting to keep some stability there because the long snapper Aaron Brewer is also a free agent, and you know that young kid Matt Hembro who was on IR all year. There was a reason they kept him on IR all year, and I did not realize that yes. he was on IR all year. Yeah, he got he he hurt his back in preseason. They put him on IR. And you don't do that with a long snapper, an undrafted long snapper, unless you have some thoughts of the future with him, I wouldn't think. I also think tight end Jeff Swain. I think it's it's clear they, that Elijah Higgins has the, from what we saw at the end of the season, the talent to be more of a pass catcher. Now, still an important piece in that blocking role, but depending on Swain's recovery from his injury, his knee, right, calf? It, it was his calf. calf. I talked to him. He, he It wasn't torn. It was. It came out. It was best case scenario. I mean, he's one of those guys that this is going to be his injury will be a non-factor and and by by March. An important blocking tight end. Though. The question becomes: Did they see something out of that young kid Travis Vokalek, who they picked up from the Ravens late in the season, who's also a blocking tight end, six six, <laughs> big dude, huge dude, huge. You know, do you try and get a little bit younger? I mean, Jeff Swaim's been around. Now, I, I think Jeff Swaim is works as a veteran in the, in the locker room. But again, how many how many tight ends yep. are you going to keep? Yep. Are you going to keep four? I mean, you could do something where you kept four around or you have Volkolek potentially on the, the practice squad or whatever. But, I mean, I think they like Higgins a lot for what he's turning into receiving-wise. We already talked about McBride. And so they just need to make sure that they have that one blocking. I guy. also wouldn't be surprised if they keep Josh Woods. Josh Woods and Chris Barnes, those two linebackers who – at some point in the season, we're also calling the defense after Kaiser White went down. I wouldn't be surprised if you bring back Josh Woods as as that second middle linebacker yep. and, and that experience and the leadership and, and what he brought to the table. He can play special teams. I, I, I don't know if they're going to try and upgrade there, and that's also a possibility. And see, that's the thing is we've gotten to know these guys, and so many of them fit what they're all good dudes. They, they're good in the locker room, but that's what Jonathan Gannon was collecting in terms of this roster. Eventually you're going to need to find guys that do that with a higher talent level overall. And in fact, I, I had a discussion with my youngest son who made the point. He's like, okay, dad, but like you still need the talent. You still need good enough guys to win. It, it can't just be about, you know, having the right attitude. And, and that's the fine line they've got to walk. They've got to find guys that fit what Jonathan Gannon wants culture-wise and attitude-wise, but that can play. Well, the other thing, too, to keep an eye on, which is a different than the free agency list there because you'd obviously have to give those players different contracts. I think there's a still a handful of players carried over from the previous regime that will be here for training camp because you need bodies that I still don't think will be here at the next 53-man roster cut. And immediately the person that jumps to my mind is outside linebacker Cam Thomas, who has a healthy scratch the final two, maybe three games of the season. That's a name to me where not a free agent, still on this team, 
doesn't seem like the cards are going to turn up in his favor of here for the long haul. And, and along those lines, all the guys we're just talking about, again, you're going to re-sign them probably before free agency starts in earnest if you're going to keep them. Not all of them. Some of them will realize, okay, the market's not there. I'm going to come back. But just because, and then, but then you'll have a draft, and then that'll impact what other positions they might play. And then you have to go through training camp. So just because they re-sign a guy, it's not, it's not like, okay, yeah, we want you on our team next year necessarily. They're still going to have to fight a way on. I know you were an arc on this. The futures deals that that just guarantees the players' contracts through the offseason, correct? Yeah, I mean, all all a futures contract means is they they've committed to a team for the next season. So like if a team, a playoff team wanted to come get them now, they're off the market. So the player is basically saying, I'd rather guarantee that I have a team this offseason than sit at, at home on my couch hoping a playoff team would want me. Look, I'm going to take on my crystal football. I'm going to give you a forecast on Cam Thomas. You ready ready for this one? What if we're not, Paul? He had a body analysis, Darren. It's a rhetorical question. Last offseason, and they said he could easily put on 25 to 30 pounds. His brother's a D-lineman. His dad was a lineman. So even though I think to some degree the previous regime tried to make him an outside linebacker, they did, is that really his future? And if he doesn't have a future at outside linebacker, based on the fact that he was a healthy scratch the last few games, then maybe he does go that route, gets in there with Buddy Morris, and all of a sudden he puts on 25 good pounds, which he supposedly can do, and then all of a sudden here you go as a five technique. I, I That's definitely possible. I remember having conversations with people about, like, okay, you, you had Zach Allen. He could be Zach Allen. Now, I don't know if that could pay off, and that's very possible. And by the way, you need D Lyman. Oh, yeah. You're in serious need for numbers and that position, right? So we'll see. Yeah, I, I, that, that is a good option. He's still here under contract. I'm just not sure that that's – when you're talking about edge rushers, it doesn't seem like – if you're reading the tea leaves, it doesn't seem like he's one of those pieces in the future. Are we ready to speculate about Zayvon Collins and the fifth-year option? Or is that for another edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office well, Automation? Since they don't have to do it till May, we probably should put that off for now. Okay. All right. That's just me. I'm just saying that the latest update is of the last four drafts, 32 picks, eight remain with the Arizona Cardinals. Eight out of 32 over the last four drafts. And to your point earlier, Danny, I think that number's probably going down by the time Well, Lucky Foto we is hit camp. one of them. Yes. He's the last guy from the 2020 draft, and he's a free agent, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah. It is interesting that Zayvon Collins was rated by Pro Football Focus as the best defender on the Cardinals. Who, who Zayvon was? Yeah. He had the best grade okay. from Pro Football Focus. And he Take played, that whatever, for what it's worth. Did he not play the most snaps on defense? Well, maybe not because no. they had the rotation. But he was the one guy who started every game, I think, at what I it was. So. Is that, that was a stat. By the way, the Cardinals had the third youngest roster by the end of the season in the NFL. They played the second toughest schedule in 2023. When you go back and recalculate everyone's win-loss records. And 12 teams finished with 10 or more wins, double digits and wins, and the Cardinals played 8 of the 12. <laughs> think about that. And then think about for the first time the Cardinals went over in the division. First time since the new alignment, 2002, the NFC West, Cardinals went 0-6. And the Rams ended up with the second youngest roster in the NFL by the end of the season, won seven of the last eight, obviously a playoff team. Seahawks played even more rookies than the Cardinals, were the only team to play more rookies than the Cardinals this year. And obviously they're going to have a head coaching change. What's going to happen in Seattle? How do you feel about Pete Carroll leaving, Paul? Well, probably going to an advisor. Okay, here we role. go. The, here comes the monologue. No, I'm going to miss the guy. I'm going to miss him. I mean, come on, Coach Double Rainbow, having a lot of fun, watching him warm up his arm, throwing more pregame tosses than Zach Gallen. There he is, getting the old noodle loose and ready. You know, everything's organic and antioxidant and all this stuff going on, the pure way. I mean, look, he can build a culture, there's no doubt about it. But they also are straddling that line like a Mike Tomlin. Yeah. They're right there. They're not drafting high enough to get any game changer at quarterback. To what degree has a team tuned him out? The defense, his calling card, his side of the ball, not good for two straight years. I mean, 
not good at all, like among the league's worst at stopping the run. And going into that season finale, if you went back over the last month of Seahawks football, he was at a loss to explain how bad the run defense was. Like, it was no comprendo for Pete Carroll. And I think at that point, management decided he doesn't look like he has any answers going forward. He's out of answers. He's out of a job. That was my take on what happened up there. I mean, again, like I said earlier, there just comes a time when it kind of peters out and and it's time to move on. And, And I think that's what happened with Bill Belichick. Obviously, Tom Brady mattered. Russell Wilson in his prime and the Legion of Boom mattered to Pete Carroll, obviously. It's it's just like players, it's it's rare that coaches are going to get to dictate how they walk out the door. Well, and certain coaches are a great fit with certain rosters. That Legion of Boom with all those strong personalities and a locker room that policed itself, Pete Carroll was the perfect head coach for that. Now, if you're going to bring in a rookie quarterback, remember Geno Smith is on a glorified one-year deal. He easily, they can cut bait from Geno Smith this offseason, and there aren't that many ramifications. So, you know, I'm curious. I think there's not only going to be a new head coach, but there's going to be a new quarterback in Seattle the Cardinals will be dealing with. Drew Locke. (laughs) M-I-Z. Stop. Who was the team that um, just, it was Tampa, just dealt with $82 million of dead cap space this season. This season was supposed to be their reset. And they're they may, they want to play off. But guess what? Look at their division. Well, and that's why the Cardinals are arguably arguably going to be in the toughest division in the NFL again next year. I think the NFC West will be back to that status next year as the toughest division in the league. And so, Danny, I know I've said it uh, ad nauseum at this point. You got to get to the quarterback, but you also have to figure out the division if you're Jonathan Gannon. Absolutely especially if, if San Francisco is able to continue the way they've been playing and seeing what we saw from the Rams and what was supposed to be more of a transition year for them and, and what they were able to accomplish. And do they have a first-round pick this year, Yes, LA? they do. do. Wow, they're back. Well, for now, they're back to first-round pick in the draft. I, and, and then if Seattle's able to turn things around, I mean – you're right. The Cardinals need to be competitive within division because that that's going to be a tough – way to get to the playoffs you know it's not like you're playing like against the Panthers or the Bucks or the Saints right like you're not in the NFC South where you can get by on maybe eight wins and and be in the playoff hunt whereas like Seattle was able to do that but they weren't going to win the NFC West with that yeah I mean you beat Dallas you beat Pittsburgh you beat Philadelphia three playoff teams but the two Rams games were lopsided two Niners games somewhat competitive and then in the fourth quarter got sideways both games so, yeah, that's your task as a coaching staff, I think, is to try and get up to speed with the rest of the division. Now, which brings us to, uh, speaking of opponents, uh, you did play Houston and C.J. Stroud. Let's come full circle to Mr. Uh, C.J. Stroud in Houston and what he did. I was thinking to myself, when they showed the graphic that he threw only, he's thrown only five picks all year as a rookie yeah, quarterback? Yeah, and three of them were against the Cardinals. <laughs> I'm like, what? That, because there's the old Peyton Manning joke. Peyton Manning loves to joke with rookie quarterbacks. Hey, feel free, bud, to break my record. Because as a rookie, Peyton Manning still holds the interception record as a rookie quarterback. I think it's 27, maybe 29 picks his rookie year. And that was a Hall of Famer, Peyton Manning. And C.J. Stroud has five and it's not like he's captain checkdown. No. That dude has a downfield passing game always thrown to the second and third level. In the in the mailbag that I posted this week, somebody asked me, the original question was, of the playoff quarterbacks, who would you trade Kyler Murray for and who would you not? Now I'm not I'm not going there, but I was willing to to for my own power rankings do the playoff quarterbacks. And as I'm doing these, I'm realizing I think I put Stroud four or five, and I'm thinking I'm surprised I have him that high. But every time I've seen him, he's been fantastic. Even against the Cardinals when he threw three picks, he was pretty damn good. You and that, that hurts. It's impressive. For, for somebody who roots against Ohio State so fervently. It's impressive what D'Amico Ryans has done in his first year there and, and what Houston has done to rebuild and – shift their own culture and everything they've done in Houston. It's incredibly impressive what C.J. Stroud has done in his rookie year. 
it sucks as a Cardinals fan, yep. that's for sure, of all rookie quarterbacks to cheer for, right? Because rookie quarterbacks typically don't play this well, and when their first-round draft pick is yours, right? Think about we were we were saying at the beginning of the season of, okay, well, let's look at Houston. Like, that's probably going to be a top two, top three pick from them. And now look. And rightfully so, because from 2020 to 2022, they had the lowest combined win percentage of any NFL team over that three-year span. When it comes to that trade, if you want to be upset the Cardinals didn't draft Will Anderson, I'm willing to – you can have that argument because there were plenty of people that were saying that in, in the moment. They should be taking Will Anderson. They shouldn't be making this trade. But don't come at me and say they shouldn't have made the trade because look what happened to that first-round pick. Nobody thought that this was going to happen. Nobody. And – not the Cardinals either, I'm sure. So, it, it, it's I mean, David Tepper had to clean house bad. in Carolina because all those experts got it wrong. Yeah. They took the wrong quarterback in Bryce Young. It, it looks like it. It does look like it. Now, I, I don't know. That that ended up being a mess, too. And, I, you know, you wonder about if, if Bryce Young was coached by Bobby Slowick instead of Frank Reich. And, yeah, and that, maybe. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe it changes up. But, yeah, and that's – that's the thing, going back to the other thing when you were talking about Suggs and the guy in the mailbag was complaining about how they didn't take Suggs. I'm like, okay, like, bottom line, because his point is you don't trade out of that. You take a great player and you don't trade down because that's where Hall of Famers come from is the higher. And, and I'm sure if you break down the Hall of Famers that, yes, of course, most of them are going to be first-round picks or high picks. However... If you look at sheer numbers and volume, there's still way more first-round picks that don't ever come close to the Hall of Fame than do. And and you can still make a mistake in the top five, as we see on a yearly basis. And by the way, put Houston under that category heading we mentioned earlier. If you get the head coach and the quarterback right, you can mask a lot of other deficiencies on your team. You get D'Amico Ryans, you get C.J. Stroud, all of a sudden... Sort of like the Cardinals down the stretch. All of a sudden, Jonathan Gannon and Kyler Murray. He's playing at that level. You can go out there with a bunch of third and fourth string receivers and still make it happen. So, and 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 D'Amico Ryans is another one of those Dan Campbell, Jonathan Gannon types, right? He's kind of like half coach, half player, just the way he relates in the sideline and the energy. At least that's what the announcers were saying during the broadcast. They're talking to a lot of the Texans players. They're like, it's almost like he's a team captain again, D'Amico Ryans, the longtime linebacker of the Texans. So, by the way, I'm intrigued by your uh, mailbag. What was the uh, the question about if you were to trade Kyler, who would you be willing to trade him for? Was that the question? Yeah, the original question was if you it, it, out of the playoff quarterbacks, out of the 14 playoff quarterbacks, who would you be willing to trade Kyler for and who would you not be willing to trade Kyler for? Because I have a uh, good friend of mine who's a pathological Cowboys fan, and there was a text string, and one of my uh, other buddies decided to trigger him at the end of that loss. Hey, uh, Jarrah ain't waiting around for a rookie quarterback. He's too old. Dak ain't the guy. You think Jarrah calls up Monty Ossenfort and says, bring Kyler back to Texas. Herschel Walker trade. Here we go. You think there's... I have heard that before, actually. Why? Why would, If you're the Cardinals, though, why would you do that right now? Because they pay your price, which is obscene. Okay, and, and who's your quarterback? You're sitting there at number four. Maybe you like Michael Penix, Bo Nix, so Jaden Daniels. at the best, you're getting the third-best quarterback in this draft? I, uh, and you reset the rookie contract you go remember kyler's cap number goes from you're whatever, absolutely right to 52 million next you year have, and you don't know and if you get bryce young it doesn't matter what the the princely price that you might get of draft picks we can go back to the herschel walker trade yeah that was incredibly one-sided yes the cowboys won but if you look at a lot of those half of those draft picks were just guys so do you think Kyler showed enough, proved enough to this new set of decision makers that they do truly know he's the guy? I do. I do, yes. Okay. You doubt that? No, I... I, I oh, Darren's getting heated over here. I'm, a, I'm not a, getting heated. I just, mu- and I said this on the air before. A month ago, I wasn't so sure. Based on the last three halves of football, that went a long way towards and, solidifying his future. And you can say what you want to say, Picking four instead of one or two makes a difference. Especially for a quarterback. Ask Chicago 
if they were picking four and eight instead of one and eight, I bet you Justin Fields is their quarterback. Who would it be now, Darren? We'll just have to see on that, Danny. Oh, man. Lincoln Riley in Dallas. Bill Belichick in Dallas. Lincoln Riley to Dallas. You guys are not saying things that I did not hear from my dad after that Cowboys loss. I was talking him off a ledge. Should should we have your dad on the the podcast? Golly. (laughs) Can we work that out, Ohms? Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Any? uh, How about them Cowboys? Any other unfinished business here? Uh, Uh, I think we've covered a lot. Anything else you want to say? Jordan Love. What's going on with Jordan Love? Are you kidding me? I mean, was there anything more? Look, we knew C.J. Stroud because we saw C.J. Stroud. Yeah. Was there anything? Did that last touch? Oh, I think it was his last touchdown. I think it was the little sidearm whip when they were down at the ten yard line or whatever it was. That was freaking amazing. I mean, at that point, it was what forty eight sixteen, right? Well, it was that was the last touchdown? If it was the last touchdown, oh. it would have been forty one whatever, but. By the way, did you see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers troll the Philadelphia Eagles with their tweet? Buy, Eagles buy. Yeah, that's not nice. And then the New York Post piled on with fly or cry, Eagles cry. Oh, well, there's that. And this all started actually with Trey McBride when he left the field in Philadelphia, second to last game of the year. He was flapping his arms and screaming, fly, Cardinals fly. When, when you look, going back to the Packers real quick, it is amazing how – Exactly the same Favre to Rodgers, Rodgers to Love seems to be playing out. Favre, when they drafted Rodgers, the fan base was like, why would you piss off Brett Favre? Brett Favre had all the fans behind him. And then at the end, when it was time to move on, he started ruining that a little bit. Then when he went on to do do other things and Rodgers played well, Brett Favre became public enemy number one in Green Bay. And what's happening now, like... Everybody is like, how could you screw with Rodgers? And now that it looks like Love can play and Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, it looks like the exact same thing. I hope this is appropriate to say on a podcast. I saw a tweet that said, as long as Jordan Love doesn't rob people of welfare money or become a conspiracy theorist, he will be a legend in Green Bay for life. And I just thought that was hysterical. Maybe maybe just spending all that time in Green Bay just turns a guy. Not, not only is he not that guy, that former quarterback, did you see where he helped the motorist on the side yeah, of the road? Right? And then yeah. she took a selfie with him? I can't out believe... Out of a snowbank? I'm going to tell you a story, though. This is... People can change, too. I have, a, I have a friend who lives in Green Bay who did a lot of stuff with Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers, when his one of his children were born, they, were, they had been doing a radio show. Aaron Rodgers showed up by himself to the hospital with flowers for his wife wow. just to say thank you. Now, I don't think, that, I don't think today's Aaron Rodgers does that, <laughs> but people, people can change. Yeah. So we'll we'll see where Jordan Love is in 15 years. I will say one of the best things out of this weekend with playoffs was seeing the Bills fans shovel the snow at the stadium. And then they say, you know, the Bills and NFL say, you know what? It's a free-for-all. Wherever you can find a spot to sit and and – Fans are trudging through. Is that what it was? Waste high snow. It it was just general seating. Yes, Yes. and then I love the fans that didn't even try to get rid of the snow. They were just like lying back on the seats on this. Like it just, I just feel like that fan base is incredible. And to do that, I'm sure is just such a such a cool memory to say that you helped shovel the snow and then you're going through that experience. Now, Kansas City, I don't know if that weather is worth sitting out and watching a game for with all the wind and everything. But if Buffalo, if it's more just cold and you're able to safely get there, I just, I loved seeing that from the fan base. It, it, it kind of looked fun. I mean, I'm glad I don't the, deal with that winter. I want to be clear about that. Kansas City, the, the video on, on uh, that was circulating on social media of the guy going into the refrigerator to pick out the ice and having it freeze after it came out of the refrigerator. Were like you seeing? You were putting it in the refrigerator to keep it, so it liquid, wouldn't freeze. So it wouldn't freeze as soon as you took it out. Gone. Did you see That's the true. people that were drinking beers and it would be open and the beer would come out and then it would freeze so you couldn't even drink what was left in your beer? 
crazy. I just like the Buffalo. They, and they just put the beer right in the snowbank next yeah. to their seat in Buffalo. That was, uh, you know. By the way, I think this weekend's games served as um, reinforcement as to why sideline reporters are so vital to I every I was NFL thinking about game. you, Paul. <laughs> no, I mean, we got some good info out of it. It was the radio sideline reporter, because I couldn't see the game, didn't have Peacock, and I'm, I'm stuck out in the garage replacing the spark plugs on a 25-year-old rig with my 17-year-old, and we're out there listening to the game. And the sideline reporter, she came on and said that Patrick Mahomes has his own personal heat locker on the sideline for his helmet. Not just putting on the high top, atop the bench, you know, the post with the heater unit. Uh, he has his own locker. So why did it break? That's That was the question. That's why it came up. Mm. Not only did it break, but he has his own personal heat locker for it. And then she went into, she did some research. She said, did you know the heated bench was invented in Green Bay in 1961? The Packers actually commissioned a local like heating HVAC company, and they created it and gave it to the Packers, never licensed it, never trademarked it, never asked for any money. Gave it to the Packers, and then like the NFL licensed it. No. I was thinking about you, the cold weather of like, oh my gosh, poor Paul, if he had to be down there on the sideline, because I sure know I wouldn't have been. And then Laura Oakman reported Jason Kelsey, who uh, congrats on a spectacular, right, all-pro career. Jason Kelsey apparently told Laura Oakman that he had a specific three-word catchphrase that he would tell himself during each tush push. I enjoyed this. What was it? Bleep my life. Snap it. (laughs) Bleep my life. Snap the ball and then just lunge forward and be at the bottom of that mass of humanity. Oh my! I mean, With no, Jason Kelsey. What happens to the the brotherly show? The tush doesn't get pushed anymore. I mean, if not, I mean the tush push. I mean, prematurely retired him by at least three years. If it wasn't for the tush push, he probably would have played twenty. Come on. Yeah, but right? he got a Super Bowl ring. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, I thought the uh, you know the sideline reporters were vital to the NFL broadcasts over the weekend. So, there you go. Um, C.J. Stroud really is the uh, expletive uh, here on this uh, podcast until. Next season, next season, we can appreciate C.J. Stroud. But uh, as we approach the draft, not so much. And that'll do it for this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.